You're listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. My name is Matthew, and as your host, my mission is to help you discover who God is and what it means to live as a citizen of His kingdom. Greetings, Finchwood. Now that we've covered how to use our giftings as followers of Jesus, what are the rules that govern our lives as Christians? In this episode, I'd like to talk about what Christians do and what Christians don't do. And you may be surprised at the answers to both of those questions. In terms of a Christian lifestyle, it is true that God expects each of us to live in a certain way, to exhibit behavior that corresponds to our beliefs. However, questions of morality quickly become a problem when we reduce a relationship with God to a set of rules that determine whether we're living righteously or not. Or even worse, rules that determine whether God really loves us or not. I want to be clear that there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or less, period. If you're a Christian, the Bible promises that there's no more condemnation for you. You get to live with a clean slate, free of the burdens of fear, shame, and guilt. Before Jesus came to live as a human being, God's people had 613 different commandments they were supposed to follow, governing everything right down to what you could eat or the clothing you should wear. But the problem is that simply following the rules never made anyone righteous on the inside. All it did was make us more and more aware of the brokenness in our hearts. Inside, we can be full of greed, for instance, even if we follow every outward commandment regarding generosity. So, when Jesus came, he placed his Holy Spirit in our hearts to help us discern what's right and wrong, and to change us and make living that way possible. What that means is that there isn't a set of rules anymore that we have to rigidly follow. Now, before we continue, please don't hear me say that you can and should do whatever you want so long as you feel good doing it. Frankly, there's the key. If it's just what I want, I'm not doing a very good job at serving God and others. Among the first few generations of Christians, the big controversy was over what a believer should be allowed to eat or drink. The thing is that the meat markets in most Greek and Roman cities were connected to the pagan temples. They sold meat that had been previously sacrificed to Zeus or Aphrodite, and eating it was considered a form of worship toward those deities. Now, if you were a Christian, you knew that Zeus isn't really a thing, and this is just ordinary meat sold at a sweet discount, by the way. So, it seems like a no-brainer, right? The problem is that people would see you eating sacrificed meat and think that you had reverted to paganism. Even worse, new believers who still hadn't worked out all their loyalties in their heart or who still associated that meat with worshipping Zeus might relapse into idolatry because they would be following your example as a more mature believer. I can't think of any particular action that's always right or wrong. Instead, the situational context and the prompting of the Holy Spirit living in you become crucially important. Now, to work this out using an extreme example, I'm sure someone listening to this podcast is already thinking, well, what about murder? Can't we all at least agree that murder is wrong? And yes, I absolutely do agree. But this is where it's important to think about context. The word murder doesn't just describe the act of ending another person's life. In addition to that meaning, there's a value judgment built into the word itself, that this is a wrongful killing. 
Now, I don't know that it's always wrong to take a human life. For instance, if you're defending innocent lives in the process, but then it's not murder, is it? In those instances, we would use another word like self-defense or military combat to describe what is otherwise an identical action. It's not what you're doing, it's why you're doing it and a host of other factors. Frankly, if you take any one action and move it into the wrong situational context, it has the potential to become morally reprehensible because it's no longer governed by love. And that really is the key. My liberty, if it becomes separated from my love for others and my concern for their well-being above my own, has the potential to become terribly destructive to those around me. That's why the Bible says that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. To put that a different way, everything you do, everything you say, even everything that you think or feel, is going to be either helpful or harmful. When something is harmful, when it's not motivated by love, that's what we define as sin. As you can probably guess by now, figuring out whether something is right or wrong as a Christian can get insanely complicated when you try to live out your faith in the real world. Life is never as simple or cut and dry as we would like it to be, which is exactly why we can't just live by a set of easily memorized commandments. My personal belief is that God set it up this way on purpose, so that we would learn to trust his leadership in our lives more than we trust in our own capacity for obedience. I promise we'll talk about that a lot more as time goes on, getting into the specifics of what might or might not be, quote, the Christian thing to do in specific sets of circumstances. But for now, I want to propose a simple threefold test for whether something is likely to be helpful or harmful. Think of this as a litmus test. It's not 100% accurate, meaning that to make a final determination, you'll still need to check that action against what the Holy Spirit living inside you says, not to mention the Bible, local laws and customs, and the collective wisdom of other believers. Still, this will get you pretty close most of the time. First, ask yourself whether this action will bring you closer to God or lead you further from Him. Everything we choose to do, or not do for that matter, will either cause us to love God more or cause us to love Him less. Now, I've definitely heard of people going way too far with this. You can't let yourself become so afraid of doing the wrong thing that you do nothing. Instead, learn to trust God's ability to lead you through his voice, through circumstances, and through the community of faith that he's surrounded you with. Learn to trust the conscience that God gave you. If you feel like he's telling you to do something or not to do something, Learn to obey his voice, and learn to believe that he's pleased with you for trying, even if you get it wrong. What God calls righteousness is having faith in his goodness, not simply dotting every I and crossing every T in every circumstance in life. Trusting him will always bring you closer to him. The second test is, how will it affect the faith of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Since the primary mission of the church is to make disciples, that means that our lives are supposed to revolve around that mission. We can take the logic from question number one and then apply it to those around us. We're one body, so each of us is responsible for the health of the body parts we are connected to, especially those who are younger in the faith than we are. 
My conscience might be completely clear, just like in the example of eating meat that Paul wrote about in the Bible. But what if I'm standing with a fellow Christian that I know just came out of that lifestyle, or I know that they used to be addicted to this very thing? How can I say that I love them and then use my freedom in a way that hurts them? That's someone that Jesus gave his life for. I should at least be willing to sacrifice some of my personal freedom for their well-being. The third question is, will it faithfully represent God's character? As God's people, we are called to be like him in every way, which means that the way we live contributes to his reputation, not just to our own. The way I respond to others, how I react to society, even the way I treat myself that others are able to see, those all become clues that other people will interpret to learn more about my God. And that will either bring him honor or dishonor, depending on my conduct. As Christians, our goal should always be to do what glorifies God. There's an old saying that you might be the only Bible someone will ever read. Do your best to make sure it's accurate. Those three questions should help you to avoid the don'ts of the Christian lifestyle. But what are the do's? What specific things can we do to please God and to grow in our faith? Earlier in this series, I talked about how the mission of every Christian is to help other people become disciples, followers of Jesus, and how that starts with following him ourselves. A disciple isn't just someone who learns a few bullet points of teaching, and the discipleship process isn't something that can be taught in a classroom. If the goal is to become like Jesus in every way, not just knowing what Jesus would do, but also embodying why and how he would do it that way, that takes a lifetime, and it will not happen by accident. Over the centuries, Christians have developed certain practices that redirect us back toward God. The old-school term for those practices is spiritual disciplines. But the meaning of the word discipline has changed so much in the past century that I find it's no longer an adequate label. Exercises or habits might be better terms. But be aware that if you read more about this in literature, you're going to see the word disciplines used very frequently. Just as in our discussion about morality in the first half of this episode, I should remind you that nothing I'm about to tell you will ever make God more or less pleased with who you are. You can't earn his favor because you've already got it. And you can't bargain with him to be on your side or to help you out because he's already there. You're not going to get a report card at the end of your life just to find out that you got a C- in prayer and a failing grade in Bible reading. He loves you, period. In short, these habits are all tools that you could use to help yourself grow as a Christian, but none of them can determine your value as a Christian. They're not the destination. What they are is both the fuel and the vehicle that you can use to get to your destination, which is knowing God. Think of these practices as things that you can and should do for your own sake, in order to be spiritually healthier and more mature over time. It's like how eating a balanced diet and exercising will help you stay physically healthy, in the same way your spiritual life is also influenced by your day-to-day actions. It's also worth saying that there's no universally ideal balance or a benchmark that you have to hit for each particular habit. 
I'm someone who needs to take more vitamin B12 than most people in my diet in order to stay healthy. I've also learned that spiritually, I need more solitude than most Christians in order to keep my relationship with God vibrant. Now that's me. You'll have to find the balance that works for you. Though, to be clear, nobody needs zero of any given vitamin in their food, and likewise, everyone will need at least a little bit of each of these practices to be truly healthy and growing as a disciple of Christ. So, what kinds of habits are part of this balanced Christian lifestyle? We've been doing this for almost 2,000 years now, and a lot of very sincere people have spent their whole lives trying to document all the ways that you can grow as a Christian. So, you'll find different books and writings throughout the centuries that have called these practices by different names, organized them a thousand different ways, and still managed to come out with the same dozen or so activities that you can employ in your life for your own spiritual growth. The most essential ones that always seem to make the list are the things that I talked about in the third episode of this podcast, things like praying, reading the Bible, spending time with other Christians. Honestly, if you do those three things, and if you do them well, even at that minimum baseline, you're going to be okay. Other classic so-called disciplines that are less essential, but still very, very good things to incorporate in your expression of Christianity are worship, confession, generosity, fasting, studying, serving others, establishing intentional periods of rest and reflection, and that's not even close to a comprehensive list. There are so many of these, and they're all so great. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but one of my goals for this podcast is to do a whole season on these habits so that we can look at each one both deeply and practically. Honestly, since this is such an important topic, I think that's going to be the very next season that we do after we're done with the basics. For now, though, I recommend that you just find ways to incorporate some of these practices into your life. And if you want a good place to start, I recommend just setting aside some time each day both to pray and to read the Bible, and then setting aside some time each week to have fellowship with other Christians. Keep doing those three practices, and then gradually incorporate more habits into your life over time. If you do, I can promise that you're going to grow in your faith, becoming more like Jesus as you follow him day by day. Now, while we're on the topic of reading the Bible, I think this is a great opportunity to segue into what the remainder of this season is probably going to look like. So far, we've talked a lot about the basics of our beliefs and practices, but for the next several episodes, we're going to delve into the basics of the Bible. What is this book that we Christians believe was given to us by God? What does it say, and how do we apply it to our lives? Those topics are going to dominate the next several episodes, and I hope you're as excited about them as I am. I will see you then, and in the meantime, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast conversations for people who want to be more like Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe now and consider sharing it with your friends. For more information about this episode's topic or to continue the discussion, please consult the show notes. See you next time.